Kia ora, I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. Today on The Detail Stuff's Day of Reckoning. One of the country's leading news organisations has issued an apology this morning, but it's not just any apology. Well, you and I both know <laughs> that this has been a problem for quite a long time, but we've never act, no one's actually gone and had a look at it. It's a public apology for the way the media organisation has portrayed Māori from its first edition till now. People don't understand it that the way we've been portrayed for so long has really impacted on our lives. It follows a hefty investigation by Tama Pono, Our Truth, led by journalist and Potsiaki editor Carmen Parahi and editorial director Mark Stevens, that shines a light on the way the media has been racist in the past, contributing to the stigma and marginalisation and stereotypes against Māori. We've had a mixed bag of reactions actually so I do know that we have had people who've been quite negative about uh, what we've done uh, at the same time there are actually uh, more positive responses from the public. I'm talking to Carmen Parahi at her home on Waiheke about reaction to Monday's public apology. So the ratio is about two to one. I was hoping for three to one in our favour uh, but one of my colleagues pointed out a few years ago, it would have been 10 to 1 the other way. So that's actually very nice to hear. We've heard from different newsrooms that have had amazing experiences with Tangata uh, Whenua who've reached out to them uh, on the Monday when we made the apology. And some of those stories were quite moving actually, but awfully I uh, did an interview with uh, Jenny May Clarkson and got quite emotional about what we'd done. I note that you've also said that one of the reasons for doing this is so my kids don't have to carry the pain we as Māori have carried for so long because of the way we've been portrayed in the media over three centuries and that day has a long time coming. And so I thank you for the work that you have done. But talk to us about what it was like to go to your colleagues and say we need to do something about this and what support you received. One Saturday uh, in June, I actually had enough. I was about to walk away from journalism, but I decided um, that actually I'm going to fight for this uh, because I've had enough about the way Māori were being portrayed and put down. And I knew you would set me off, Jenny, man. I knew you would do this. This is big stuff, though. It is, it is, and... I'm so pleased that our media organisation can say sorry to Māori. And uh, that was because I'm a Māori woman and I've seen uh, generational trauma about the way the news media, not by any great conspiracy, but because we don't uh, look at ourselves and we don't hold ourselves to account enough about how we report and do our journalism, uh, we have portrayed Māori in the ways that we've found during our investigation of stuff in its papers. That interview, I think a lot of people might have been surprised or even shocked at the emotion there because I guess we think of you both as, you know, strong journalists, strong women journalists who have been in the industry for a long time. So what, have you been putting up with not saying anything about this for so many years? Yeah, that's exactly how I felt. Um, I felt that as a journalist, like being a Māori 
journalists. It has been hard. I stayed culturally safe because I worked in multimedia as well as uh, in mainstream. And so I learnt my craft at three, TV3, and um, took that into um, Marae at TVNZ and then at Native Affairs at Māori Television. So I've kept safe, but watching the media over the years and being a part of it and having my own whānau and friends uh, calling me out often about um, stories other media have done and always holding me and other Māori journalists to account for um, all the ills and wrongs that they see in the whole of the news media. Uh, and then as well as having my own personal um, experiences of racism uh, in, in the newsroom and uh, marginalising my voice as a Māori journalist and um, in what way, Carmen? Stories and, and in the early years particularly, um, it was difficult because, you know, when you're a junior reporter, you just do what you're told by the news bosses. And they have their views about how a news story should look, should be told, those angles that they're looking for. And we can't get past the fact that our news is adversarial in its nature. It uh, loves the conflict. It loves the fuffai, the fighty, the blood, right? Uh, I remember a um, someone who was mentoring me and said to me, I'm sorry, Carmen, uh, if it bleeds, it leads, which is an awful, awful way um, to talk about how we do our news. But it was correct at the time. Um, and it also plays to our human nature as well, because when you look at stuff's most viewed stories or any other news media, you see the weird stories, the quirky stories, all the stories of real conflict and pain and awfulness. Uh, humans actually really like to read that stuff as well. So, but we must always feed them the balance. Your project, it, it looked at journalism right back to the 1860s. But what I found interesting from one of your interviews in the last couple of days is that you said one of our darkest eras was in the 1990s and 2000s. Why was that one of our darkest eras? A lot of it came down to, again, who our news bosses were at the time and the decisions they were making and the perspectives they had about what was and what wasn't news. So what I've got to um, say is that there's no great conspiracy by the news media, right, to do these things. It was at the beginning, right at, uh, historically, right at the start, it was very clear that the papers were set up for settlers by settlers. And they were there to um, support the interests of settlers, whatever that may be, in the economy, land, uh, purchasing, trade, all of that. Very clear about that. But during that particular time, there were uh, more Māori in Parliament. Um, this was the time of the fiscal envelope. In 1994, the then national government announced a plan to impose a financial cap on all future treaty settlements. This proposal, known as the fiscal envelope, sparked protests by Māori throughout the country. As many as 300 Māori activists, wrapped in blankets and bearing foliage, which is known as a traditional sign of mourning, marched through the streets of Waitara to the site of the hui in protest at the government's proposal. It was the time of the first treaty claims being settled. It was the time of Pākaitore, 
Symbolic acts included attacking Victorian statues, the America's Cup and the Lone Pine on One Tree Hill and culminated in the occupation of Motua Gardens in Whanganui. Protest leader Dame Tariana Turia says they hoped Pakeha would come to Motua Gardens to talk to Māori about their grievances and gain an understanding of their culture but most did not and were fearful. I think the biggest shock for our old people was um, the racism. I don't think that they ever expected it, that growing up with many of the people in this town, they'd gone to school with them. I mean, I had too. Yeah, so that was hard. It was the time of the Seabed and Foreshore era and the uh, Don Brash Orewa speech. And it was also uh, when the Māori Party was formed. So there's a whole lot of things that were going on. When you look at it, what it was, was Māori trying to gain back power and authority to find their rangatiratanga through that time. And so what was happening, which was exactly the example we had during uh, the New Zealand Land Wars, where the papers at the time, during the New Zealand Land Wars, when the Crown was fighting against the Māori, the papers were supportive of the Crown. And the same thing happened again in the late 1990s and the early 2000s. Our papers were siding with the Crown. You know, you can tell, like, for instance, with the foreshore and seabed, the fact that they were more than happy to report the disgraceful behaviour of Helen Clark, uh, calling our people haters and wreckers. But, you know, the medias didn't defend that. They just reported it as if it was a fact. It's bizarre. We're not supposed to do that, right? No. We're supposed to hold the Crown to account for Māori, which we didn't do. Okay, and so it's still something <clears throat> we still struggle to do. Ooh. How confident do you feel now that things will be different? Because, you know, the reality is that our newsrooms all over the country are not diverse you know they are mostly Pākehā dominated and I know as a, as a former bureau chief in the Auckland newsroom here at RNZ you know when we were taking applications from young journalists very very rare to get an application from a young Māori journalist so you know in reality how are you going to get that balance how are you going to get those stories that only Māori can tell yes uh, I've thought long and hard about this. So our apology and our declaration and bringing and showing the world our skeletons, it's let everyone know we want to be diverse. And part of that is actually making your newsrooms culturally safe as well so that our young Māori will feel safe to come into our newsrooms because Māori generally distrust the news media. We don't like the way we've been portrayed over years and years and years and years. So that's the reason why we don't yet get young Māori coming into mainstream news media. It's because we've made it unsafe for them. Because I've had issues of racism in newsrooms and where I've seen stories being completely changed so they have a Pākehā lens over it instead of my Māori lens over it. We, only, we didn't just do that to Māori. We know um, that we uh, probably have done that with other communities as well lessened their voices, taking a particular perspective. We know we did that with Muslim communities prior to what happened in Christchurch. So what I'm excited about now 
is the innovative journalism that will come out of this. And I'm really excited about the breadth and depth of storytelling I believe we will do now. So um, I would, if I saw a story, I would ring the journalist or the editor and talk to them about perhaps how we could do that story better. So uh, I saw a story where we talked about Māori, had photos of Māori, but we actually didn't interview Māori and put them into the story. That's weird. It's actually not good journalism. (laughs) And it's something everyone does. We put the experts up high, we give them the voice, uh, and then we go to the same people over and over again. Um, And then sometimes we'd put, if it's stories about Māori, we'd put the Māori people down low because we believe that more people would be interested if they hear it, if they read about a Pākehā person talking about this issue, not the Māori person. But do you think that it should only be Māori journalists telling Māori stories? No, definitely not. Uh, the reason I say that is because this, I follow Te Tauriwhiriye Te Reo Māori, the Māori Language Commission, because they um, have a plan for a million people to speak Te Reo Māori. They tell all of us that Te Reo Māori belongs to all New Zealanders. And I would like to think that all our stories belong to all our journalists. We just need to change the way we tell them. Back to the beginning where you said an editor once told you if it bleeds, it leads. I mean, there is still that element of that on Stuff and on The Herald and other websites. That's journalism today, isn't it? That's that's news, news today. So, But how does that kind of tally with what you're trying to do? It's about balance. You can still have those stories because they still uh, resonate with the public. The public loves those kinds of stories. Just honestly, look at what's the most popular stories on your website, on your websites, and you will see what it is we look what what our humans are looking at. And it's not those deep and meaningful stories. Sometimes it's the silly celebrity story, right? Yeah. So that's fine, but you just balance it up. Racism in the media has been done to death. It's Mm. actually a very well-researched field in this country, and there's been a generation of researchers before me who have done that. Atakohu Middleton is a former journalist and lectures at AUT's communications course. She did the first in-depth study on te reo journalists as they gathered news for the Māori language services. Academia's been, been crying for ages. This is going on. It's taken the media a lot longer to catch up. So that's significant, that the media has come forward. and you know, yeah, that It's stuff... monumental because newspaper, the media generally like to say that, that they are the conduits of truth and objectivity and they're very, very reluctant to admit they may be wrong. It's very unusual for a news outlet to say, we have a role of nation, as nation builders. Have we been doing that well? And clearly they didn't audit and found that actually, no, they have been perpetuating racist tropes about Māori for a long time. Now, things have improved in recent years, but there still are a lot of tropes that have been popping up. A cartoonist whose latest work is being slammed as racist says it's not causing any more death. Garrick Tremaine's cartoon depicts two women outside of a travel agent with a caption that reads... I asked, what are the least popular spots at the moment? She said, the ones people are picking up in Samoa. It's a simple, uh, light-hearted joke. As if you've read the cartoon, its uh, basis of the joke is a travel agent taking the wrong end of the stick and making a stupid comment.
the problem wasn't just that he was doing racist cartoons, it's that all the way up the decision-making editorial chain, they were being let through. The group of 40 protesters were angry and their message clear. They want Garrick Tremaine and Otago Daily Times editor Barry Stewart to resign. Mr Stewart, visibly upset and his hands shaking, addressed the protesters. The content of the cartoon was insensitive and I apologise without reservation uh, for publishing it. The big discussion in, in the journalism world at that time was that it was bad enough that the racist cartoons were being generated, but it was even worse that right through the editorial decision-making chain to the editor, they were being permitted. Mr Stewart, who stood side by side with Allied Press's chief executive, Grant McKenzie, was booed as he walked away. And that told you something about the way the newsroom was oriented to Māori. What now for staff and other newsrooms? What is the reality? Because there are no or very few young Māori journalists coming through. Okay, there's several ways we need to look at that. When you ask what next, it's actually quite a broad question. In terms of what next, um, a lot of people will be expecting a response from News Hub, NZME, other media organisations. Reputationally, stuff has now put itself ahead of them because it's actually scrutinised itself, found itself wanting and wants to do better. The thing about Māori representation among reporters, among, among the ranks of reporters, that's a more difficult question. We've got a training problem. So at the moment, if, if you come out of Kura Kaupapa and you're bilingual, you can, there's such a desperate need for bilingual reporters for Māori language media that you'll be snapped up and there's plenty of work for you in a bilingual newsroom. We're not getting a lot of Māori coming through formal journalism training, and the, the reason for that is that journalism training over the years has become either a degree or a postgraduate enterprise, and we know that there are fewer Māori going into university than Pākehā. I also know from, because this has been researched, that Māori have often felt quite othered and alienated by the media, so why would you want to work in mainstream media? So how is that addressed? I think that's addressed by media-like stuff showing a willingness to change and showing a willingness to learn from their treaty partners, whether those are members of the community, the Māori staff in their newsrooms. Um, I think we need to start working on lots of fronts. So we need to get more Māori into decision-making positions. We need to do things like um, foster the pipelines into journalism schools and into newsrooms. So there's a lot of different people, a lot of different institutions that have to take these roles. It needs to be multi-pronged. So staff is the first organisation to have a charter with the Treaty of Waitangi in it. What does that actually mean? So by saying they're committing to a charter, they're saying we're not just passive observers, we're not, in adverted commas, objective observers of what's going on. It means that they understand that they have a role to play in the construction of nationhood. And... Because they have that power, it needs to be used responsibly. And the treaty lays out a fair foundation for partnership, for allyship. And I think in, in having Te Tiriti in the charter, they realise that they have a role in creating the country that we live in. Um, it is the closest thing we have to a constitution. Mm. We have Te Tiriti or Waitangi in the Bill of Rights, and that's it. Those are our foundation documents. We need to actually live them instead of think of them as something that's only dealt with by the Waitangi Tribunal or politicians, we actually need to live it. But to live it, we need to understand it and we need to incorporate it into what we're doing. We have got so many stories from mainstream perspectives. 
you need to start applying equity to that. That's that's what fairness is. And so you actually do really intentionally need to get other people's voices and other people's stories into our newspapers, radio stations, TV channels, digital, online. That that will make us better newsrooms and better journalists. Obviously, it's high ideals, Sharon, and I'm... And other people will be rolling their eyeballs at me, but I don't care. I love journalism, and I really want people to understand that there are really high principles to journalism that we can strive for and and try to attain. Those are the ones that we really should use. Gone are the days of real gutter journalism that ruined it for us. Remember News of the World, all those papers over in Britain that just completely ruined trust globally in how we do our news. So that's what I'm I'm hoping for. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, leave us a rating so other people can find us too. Adrian Holley engineered this episode. Alexia Russell was the producer. Jesse Chang, the associate producer. And thanks to Carmen Parahi and Atakohu Middleton. Kakite Ano.